0: The book of Titus, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, instruct older women to teach what is good and to train young women to live godly lives. While 1 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 12, forbids a woman from teaching or exercising authority over men in the church, clearly, Christian women still have an important responsibility to teach the word of God. As they disciple other women, as they teach God's word to other women, as they teach God's word to children, or whether that be their own children or the children of others, and as they evangelize. A the Christ design for the edification of the church is given to us in Ephesians chapter 4, and I ask that you would turn with me please to Ephesians 4. We have Christ's design for the church. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading at verse 11. And he, that is Christ, the ascended Christ, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is Christ's design for the church. This is his program for the church until Jesus comes for the church. I want you to notice what verse 15 says. Rather speaking the truth in love, we, that is all the saints in the church, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. This passage gives every Christian, both men and women, boys and girls, the responsibility to speak the truth. That is the truth of the word of God, to speak the truth in love to others in the church for the upbuilding of the individuals in the church, the upbuilding of the church as a whole. Before that, we saw that the, the Lord Jesus Christ has given to the church men to equip all the members of the church to do this very thing. That the pastors and teachers are to equip all the members to do the work of the ministry. Every member of the church is a minister. And we're called to build up the church in various ways. Now, the way that this passage highlights in verse 15 is building up others in the church by speaking the truth of the word of god in love now to do this that requires that we teach others the word of god when they do when they lack understanding of the truth of god god's word that we are sharing with them that we are speaking to them it requires teaching when there's a lack of understanding so in light of these things it is important for every Christian woman to learn how to study the Bible and to learn something of how to teach the Bible even if you uh, never teach a formal Bible study your informal ministry to others will benefit from learning more about how to study the Bible And how to teach the Bible. This morning, I want to give you a suggested method of studying the Bible. As this morning's focus is on how to study the Bible. And this afternoon, the focus will be on how to teach the Bible. So this morning, I want to give you a suggested method for studying the Bible. And this method is specifically given for the purpose of preparing you to teach a passage of Scripture, though you will greatly benefit um, as you implement this in the study of God's Word, even if you don't end up teaching this to to someone else. So this will benefit your soul as you study the Word of God in this way. Now, if we have time at the end, we will do some Q and A, but that gives me a great challenge to try to save time for that. There's a lot I want to share this morning. There is a a handout um, for this message that includes the material that I am teaching and recommends various resources. It has things in there that I'm not going to go into this morning. Um, So if you've not received that handout, um, afterwards, uh, I'm sure there's more copies in the library. Uh, I'm sure you can find a copy, or come to me and I'll help you get a copy. But I hope you have a copy of the handout. This morning, I'm going to give you 10 steps for studying a scripture passage. Now, these ten steps are not the Word of God. It's not scripture. These are my suggestions for how to study the Word of God. So just understand that. I'm giving you suggestions for how to study the authoritative, inerrant Word of God. The first step is pray for understanding. In prayer, humble yourself before the Lord and His Word committing yourself to believe whatever His Word teaches and to obey whatever it commands and asking for grace to do so. Until we get to heaven, we are continually learning from the Word of God. Our beliefs are being shaped by the Word of God and the way that we live is being shaped by the Word of God as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And so anytime that you approach a passage of Scripture, understand that the Lord has things for you to learn from this passage. And He has growth that He intends to bring about in your life through this passage of Scripture. So it's so important that we begin with prayer. Humbling ourselves before the Lord. Committing ourselves to believe whatever His Word teaches. To obey whatever it commands and asking the Lord for grace to do so. Jesus said in John 15 that apart from him we can do nothing. So we can't understand the scriptures, we can't follow the scriptures apart from Christ. So we ask the Lord's grace for this. Pray for understanding of the text. Without the Spirit's illumination, you will be in the dark. But don't just begin with prayer. As you pray, it should be setting the tone for your whole time of studying God's Word. You should pray throughout your study. Charles Spurgeon, who's been called the Prince of Preachers, wrote, If you do not understand a book by a departed writer, you are unable to ask him his meaning. But the Spirit who inspired Holy Scripture lives forever. And he delights to open up the word to those who seek his instruction. He is always accessible. He dwelleth with you and shall be, wi- shall be in you. Go to him for yourselves and cry, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. The second step is to study introductory matters for the book of the Bible in which your passage is located introductory matters and for this i recommend the introductions that are found in two good uh, I'm, I'm sorry i recommend reading the introductions that are found in two good study bibles good introductions to a book of the bible will include information on matters such as what the book's title is about where it came from information about the human author not always be an in, in Be mindful that there's Scripture has a dual authorship. Ultimately, it's the Word of God. It's authored by the Holy Spirit. But He used a human author, and He has spoken to us through that human author's personality and so forth. So background information about a book of the Bible will include information about the human author, about the date of writing, about the background and setting of the book, about the occasion for the book being written, about the themes in the book. We'll give you an outline of the book. Um, It'll speak about the message of the book, um, the purpose of this book of the Bible. As you're studying in a good study Bible, these introductory matters, take notes on anything that you think will be helpful for you to keep in mind as you are interpreting this passage of Scripture and then as you prepare to teach it to others. Now, I recommend most highly the MacArthur Study Bible, which was put together by John MacArthur and other faculty members of the Master's Seminary. This can also be found in commentary form under the title of the MacArthur Bible Commentary. I also recommend the ESV Study Bible and the Reformation Study Bible. Now, if you were studying the passage that I just read to us from Ephesians, I do want you to keep that open, because I'm going to reference it several times uh, this morning in Ephesians 4. If you were studying the passage that I read from Ephesians 4, you should know the following about Ephesians. It was written by the Apostle Paul when he was in prison. Before writing Ephesians, he had a fruitful ministry in Ephesus during his second missionary journey and third missionary journey, which you can read about in the book of Acts. The church in Ephesus was composed of Jewish believers and Gentile believers. Paul wrote the letter about 10 years after the gospel was first preached in Ephesus. Paul wrote the epistle to teach what God has done to unite redeemed sinners of all different backgrounds to Christ in his body for the exaltation of God's glorious grace and manifold wisdom. He also wrote to urge believers to now walk in a manner worthy of this glorious calling in a new shared life of unity, edification, holiness, love, and submission, standing in the Lord's strength against the devil's schemes. You learn this information when you read the introduction to the book in a good study Bible. This information is important to keep in mind as you're studying uh, the portion of Scripture. The third step is to find out where your passage is located in the flow of the book. Almost every book of the Bible has a very recognizable flow of thought throughout the book. Now, the book of Proverbs um, has a section from chapter 10, almost towards the end, uh, where there's there's not much logical order uh, to the, the Proverbs. But other than that, and in the book of Psalms, most of the Psalms are fairly independent of the psalms that come before and after it, other than psalms and proverbs. Your books have a clear flow of thought that runs through the book. It's not randomness coming onto the page. So you need to understand where the passage that you are studying fits into the flow of thought that runs through that that book. So unless the book is too lengthy for this, before studying your passage any further, read through the whole book where your passage is found. Read through the whole book, paying attention to how your text that you are studying relates to the flow of thought in the book. Paying special attention to what comes just before your passage and what comes just after your passage. Your passage is connected. And you have to understand and recognize the connection between your passage and these other parts, especially the immediate context around it if you're going to rightly understand the passage you are studying. And there's great joy to be found as as you find the flow of thought that runs through a book and you see this passage that I'm studying, this doesn't stand by itself. It really is connected to the rest of the book. There's great joy in finding those connections. And you need to in order to interpret your passage correctly. And we have to interpret it correctly if we're going to apply it correctly. Um, You can also look at the outlines of the book that you read when you were reading those study Bibles, when you are reading the introductory matters for your book. um, And find those outlines of your book and see where your passage fits into those outlines that the study Bibles give. Helping you understand how your passage fits in the flow of thought. Take notes on things that you find that will be important to keep in mind in your study of the text. Now, if you were studying the passage in Ephesians 4 that we've read, you should know that it is in the second of two main sections in the book of Ephesians. You should know that the first main section in Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3, is about God's sovereign calling of sinners to a redeemed life in Christ and in Christ's body. And you should know that the second main section of Ephesians, chapters 4 through 6, is exhortation to walk worthy of God's gracious calling. You have to understand that so you can see where your past, passage of Ephesians 4 fits. The fourth step in, in studying a passage of Scripture is to read your passage repeatedly until you have a good grasp of what it says. Now, later on, you're going to read what some other people have written about your passage. But, before you ever begin to read what other people have said about your passage, you need to get the passage very firmly in your mind, very clearly in your mind. And that will only happen by reading the passage repeatedly. Observing what's there. Seeking to understand what's there. Uh, As you do so, mark key words. Mark key phrases. Oftentimes key terms are repeated in a passage. If you don't want to mark in your Bible, uh, you can make an electronic copy of the passage to mark up as much as you want, or you could make a photocopy of your passage to mark up as much as you want, or you could have a special Bible that you you use for marking. It's really beneficial to, as you're reading the passage repeatedly, mark things that stand out to you as these are key terms, key words, some of them being repeated, showing that they are key in the passage. Because you want to be able to to remember these observations that you make of these key terms and words. Now, um, read this in multiple English translations. We have some really good English translations, but they are translations. Right. And so as you compare multiple good translations, you will find different ways that, that words and phrases are rendered. It, it's impossible to, to take a passage and give an exact, perfect translation. Our translations are really good. They are dependable. But you will have a fuller understanding of the passage if you read multiple good translations. Don't, don't read a bad one. There's a lot of bad ones out there. But I would certainly recommend the ESV. I'd recommend the New American Standard or the, the Legacy Standard Bible, which has come out recently from the Master's Seminary, uh, which is a revision of the New American Standard. So the ESV, the New American Standard, or the Legacy Standard Bible, or the Christian Standard Bible, which is the second edition of the Holman Christian Standard Bible. All of those are fairly literal translations that are well done. Compare those translations. In the Old Testament, I also recommend the New King James Version. That's in the Old Testament. Now keep reading through the text until you are confident that you have grasped what it says. In a study of Ephesians 4:11 through 16 you should observe that a key idea in this passage is building up the body of Christ. Notice it in verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Notice it again in verse 16. For, uh, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, as you're reading through this whole passage, and you see this repeated in those two, two, two verses, you will recognize this is a very important concept in this passage. Uh, that of uh, building up uh, the body of Christ. Um, This is the purpose of speaking the truth of God's word in love that we saw in verse 15, that all of us are to be engaged in. Why are we to speak the truth of the word of God to others? Why are we to teach the word of God to others? It's for the building up of the body. So as you're reading through this multiple times, you're going to notice that in this passage. Mark it. Keep that in mind. The fifth step uh, in studying a passage of Scripture is to outline your passage. You need to write your own outline. You have already read outlines of the book as a whole, but you need to outline your passage. Divide the text into its main sections. And you find that by just reading through it repeatedly, looking for what are the main sections here. What are the main ideas? Where does the main thought switch? Divide it into the main sections and then write an outline for your passage that shows the main sections. You do not need to include subpoints; just the main sections. What outline will force you to do will be to seek to understand the text. If you can't outline it, you don't understand it as well as you need to understand it. Outlining forces you to seek to understand the text. And after you've outlined it, you know, okay, now I have a really good understanding of what is here. And outlining also forces you to seek to understand how the different sections in your text relate to one another. Now, as you study your passage further, you will probably modify this outline, because you'll probably find out this this is not as good as it could be. That's fine, this is just preliminary. Now, if you were studying the passage in Ephesians 4 that we're looking at, you might outline it like this. Verse 11 tells us that Christ has given gifted leaders to the church. Verse 12 tells us that gifted leaders are to equip the saints for building up Christ's body. Verses 13 and 14 say that edification is to aim at the church's conformity to Christ. And verses 15 and 16 say that Christ, the head, works through the members of his body so that the body builds itself up in love. There you have an outline of passage. And the process that you took to get there was very beneficial. You've learned a lot about the passage as you've worked on that outline. The sixth step in studying a passage of Scripture is to read study Bibles or commentaries on your passage. Now, yes, we have the Holy Spirit to help us to understand the Scriptures. Yes, there's no substitute for doing our own study of the Scriptures. But we see in Ephesians 4 that the ascended Christ has given teachers to the church. There's a teaching ministry in the church that God gifts individuals with for the edification of the church. And it would show pride if we think, I don't need to read what anyone else has written about my passage. So God has given great insights. And understanding, and education to other teachers of the Word of God who have taught before him. And so avail yourself of several good study Bibles or commentaries to read their notes on your passage. You should read at least three study Bibles and or commentaries. If you only read one, then you're How you understand the text, how you teach it, will will very much reflect that one author. Don't just read one author. Read at least three study Bibles and or commentaries, and together they will give you some good insights on your text, and they will bring to light all kinds of things that you had not thought of before as you were observing the text. Now, in the handout that I've given you at the very end, I've given you an extensive list of recommended commentaries. Uh, Avail yourself of that. In addition to reading commentaries on your text, it is beneficial to listen to a good sermon on your text. I recommend sermons by Alistair Begg, John MacArthur, Tom Pennington, John Piper, and Stephen Lawson. These preachers have numerous expository sermons available online as you listen to good preaching on the passage that you are studying, you will learn your text better. The text of Scripture will be brought to bear on your life, and you will learn how to teach by example. Now, when you are reading commentaries, or study Bibles, or listening to sermons, be discerning. The Scriptures teach us to be Discerning. Be discerning. And disregard ideas that are unhelpful or unbiblical. You will find some ideas. If you, if you, if you read enough, you will find some, you will come across some ideas that are unbiblical. And certainly some ideas that will not be helpful to you in interpreting the passage or teaching the passage. So disregard what's unhelpful or what you find unbiblical. Be discerning. When you find something in your, your reading of the commentaries or study Bibles that is helpful and will likely benefit your lesson, write it on your, in your notes and organize your notes by, by verse and then by phrase because you want those notes to be as helpful to you when you actually put together a lesson on this portion of Scripture. So organize your notes that you're taking from multiple sources by verse and then by phrase within the verse. You can do this efficiently on, on a computer in a program like Microsoft Word. At the top of your notes uh at, at the top of your notes document, include notes on the context of your passage, on your passage notes on your passage as a whole, and at the bottom of your document, include thoughts uh, on the application of the passage to our lives. Now your your notes that you take should not be a summary of what you read. Because your lesson that you will teach will not be on a a report on what you read. Your notes should only include thoughts that likely will benefit your lesson or benefit your interpretation of the text. When you teach the passage, you are not to regurgitate what you read from other people. When you teach the passage, you are to have the passage in front of you, you have the notes that you've taken to the side, as you look at the passage, you are putting together a lesson based on what Scripture itself says. You're not doing a book report on the other resources that you read. Right. The seventh step in studying the Bible is seek to understand how your passage is connected to Christ and the Gospel. Consider if your passage makes a direct reference to to Christ. Now, in the Ephesians passage that we read, there were six direct references to Christ. But there are many passages in Scripture that do not make a direct reference to Christ. So if your passage does not make a direct reference to Christ, consider if your passage prepares us to understand the work of Christ or, or shows our need for Christ and His work. A passage like this is... Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, the 10th commandment, you shall not covet. That commandment shows us our need for Christ, our need for the Savior. Because that commandment, you shall not covet, shows that each one of us is a coveter by heart. So if you don't connect, if you're teaching the 10th commandment and you don't connect it to Christ, you're going to teach it in a very sub-Christian way that may even lead people away from Christ to trusting in their own works for right standing with God. You have to understand how your passage is connected to Christ. Many passages in Scripture show us our need for Christ, our need for salvation, or they in the Old Testament, they were preparing us to understand the work of Christ. So if your passage does not make a direct reference to Christ, consider if it does this: prepares us to understand the work of Christ or shows our need for him and his work. Something else to consider if your passage does not make a direct reference to Christ is is does this passage reveal god 's nature that provides redemption? through Christ does it reveal God's nature that provides redemption through Christ consider if your passage uh, uh, reveals something of God's justice or holiness or goodness or loving kindness or grace or mercy or faithfulness his provision or his deliverance in the Bible, the nature of God stands in contrast to man's fallen nature and shows God to be a redeeming God. Take for an example, the narrative in First Samuel 17 about David and Goliath. Right. And think about right now, how is that passage related to Christ and the gospel? Certainly, it is related to Christ in the gospel by showing us that God is a God who delivers those who trust in him. In that narrative, what do you have? You have Israel's army is small and weak. They have a great enemy coming against them, the Philistines, who are greater than they are. They have their giant, Goliath, nine feet tall their champion, who comes out and challenges the Israelite army to to send one man to fight him as their representative. King Saul is cowering. The rest of Israel's army is cowering. They're just standing there day after day unwilling to go and fight the Philistines. It looks like Israel will be defeated once again. But a small shepherd boy who has a heart after God's own heart, who trusts in the God of Israel, he comes. He doesn't have any real real weapons for fighting a, a Philistine champion with him. He has a sling and five stones. But he hears Goliath mocking the living God. David knows the Lord is a delivering God. He knows that if they trust in him, the Lord will give them the victory. What happens there? You would expect Goliath to kill David on the spot when David goes up to him. But, as David says, the battle belongs to the Lord. And the Lord fights for Israel that day. It's not David's victory. It's the Lord's victory. David defeats Goliath and the rest of the the Philistine army. And gives the whole Israelite army victory that day against their enemies. What does this show about God? It shows that he delights to deliver those who trust in him. And how much more we see this at the cross. How much more we see this in the work of Christ. That God delights to deliver, to save those who trust in him. So in that narrative with David and Goliath, he's learning something about the nature of God, the nature of God from which flows the gospel. The nature of God from which flows the work of Christ. Now, we're not to find Christ necessarily in every verse of the Bible. We're not to find Him under every stone. But the, scripture, the Old Testament, in all of its, its main sections, they certainly point forward to Christ. Christ is central in the Bible. God's work of redemption in Christ is central in the Bible. And so you have to find the connection. Not in some creative way, but in a legitimate, faithful way. So, you you look at your passage. Does it make a direct reference to Christ? If not, you're considering several things. Something else to consider is, does this passage result from the work of of Christ. Does this passage that I am studying result from the work of Christ? In Ephesians four uh, verse twenty nine, uh, we have instructions that result from the work of Christ. Ephesians four twenty nine, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. It is because we have been redeemed by Christ that we are given these instructions that I just read. And it is because of the Holy Spirit who has applied to us Christ's finished work that we have a heart and the ability to follow these instructions. So this passage in this epistle that gives instructions for how we are to live, it is a result of the work of Christ. You need to recognize that connection if you're going to understand it properly. Now, if your passage is in the Old Testament, consider if the New Testament relates something in your passage to Christ and the gospel. For example, if you are studying in the Old Testament about the Passover lamb, you should be mindful that 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says Christ is our Passover lamb. The New Testament makes that connection. And so as you're in the Old Testament studying the Passover lamb, be mindful of what the New Testament says, that Passover lamb looks forward to Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. C.H. Spurgeon, again, wrote, From every town and every village and every hamlet in England, wherever it may be, there is a road to London. So, from every text in Scripture, there is a road towards the great metropolis, Christ. And my dear brother, your business is, when you get to a text, to say, now what is the road to Christ? I have never found a text that had not got a road to Christ in it. And if ever I do find one, I will go over a hedge and ditch, but I would get at my master. For the sermon cannot do any good unless there is a savor of Christ in it. That's your, se- your seventh step. Your eighth step in studying a passage of Scripture is to further study anything in your passage as needed. Now, you have already read commentaries or study Bibles on your passage. They brought to your attention a lot of important things. You've learned different things as you've been reading those. Now that you've finished reading them, consider, is there anything in your passage that you need to further study? I'm going to give you some different areas where further study may be needed. First of all, is there anything of a historical, cultural nature in your passage that you need to study more? The historical, cultural background of your text. Historical cultural background includes things like geography, historical people and events, political situations, units of money, weights and measures, agriculture, manners, customs, etc. Now if you were to study the book of Jonah, it would be important to study facts about Nineveh that might help you understand why the Lord sent Jonah to Nineveh and why Jonah didn't want to go. You know, It's very important that you understand Nineveh was not in Israel. Nineveh was a Gentile city. You've got to understand that. It would be important to study the location of Nineveh, and the location of Tarshish, to help you understand why Jonah heads instead to Tarshish. When you understand that Nineveh was to the east and Tarshish was as far to the west as one could possibly go in that world, now you understand something of why Jonah, when he refuses to go to Nineveh, why he seeks to go to Tarshish. Don't just let that be some some vague um, geographic reference in your mind well, there's some city, Tarshish, somewhere that he wanted to go to. Find out about it. Where was it? That's really important to know. The best all-around resources for studying historical cultural background are Bible dictionaries and Bible encyclopedias. Bible encyclopedias generally will give you more information than Bible dictionaries. Um, I recommend the International Bible Standard Encyclopedia, the Revised Edition, Now there is an original 1915 edition that is available for free. And if you don't have the revised edition um, and need a free resource, um, you can find the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia for free in its original edition. Meaning of words can be important um, because the Bible was not originally written in English. It was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. It can be helpful to learn the meanings of some of those original words that are part of your text. However, studying this is more technical than anything else. Uh, If you would like to learn more about word studies, uh, you can read about this later in the handout. Something else that you may need to study further are biblical themes. There are themes in the Bible that run throughout it. There's some New Testament themes, there's some Old Testament themes, and there's some themes that are found in both Testaments, where you, you find them mentioned in multiple books of the Bible. If there is a biblical theme that has a significant place in your text, it may be helpful to study this theme throughout the Bible. Examples of themes include the following. The fear of the Lord. Son of man. The eyes of the Lord, God's right hand, the day of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, and eternal life. Those are all themes that you will find spoken of in multiple places in the Bible. Now, in the passage in Ephesians 4, it would be beneficial to study the New Testament theme of edification. Since edification is central in this passage. In the ESV, you don't find the word edification. What you find is, are the words build up. We already saw it. That's an important concept in our passage. The building up of the body of Christ. Now, that's not just found in this passage. That is a theme that runs through, certainly, the epistles. And so, you should s- trace that theme. Study that theme as it's found in other parts of the Bible. It will help you to understand what this passage is talking about when it's talking about edification to study a biblical theme you can use a topical bible such as the macarthur topical bible or knaves topical bible knaves has been around for a long time that is available for free on the internet what a topical bible does is you can look up in there different phrases different concepts and it will list for you key passages where that theme is found throughout the Bible. So see if the theme that you want to study is found in a topical Bible. If it is, look up the references that it gives for that that theme. That will help you. You can also use a concordance or a digital search of the Bible, searching for occurrences of a word that is in your text or a phrase that is found in your text or that's related to your text. You know, If you were going to study the believer's calling and you could do a digital search, you could search for every occurrence of of a word that starts with the letters C-A-L-L. That would find call, called, calling, calls, and so forth. So doing a digital search enables you to do a lot more than using a concordance. Before digital searches, we, we had to use concordances. And so you could look up one word and see all the occurrences of the Bible of that one word. But now with digital searches, you can search for any phrase you want or, you know, any word that starts with these letters or any combination of those things. It's very powerful. So, identify in your passage, are there any biblical themes here that that are seen in my passage, that have a significant role in this passage, that it would be worthwhile to see what, does the rest of the Bible say about this theme and trace it through. Now depending on how many verses come up in your search, you may need to limit the scope of your study to only include verses in the same book or in the same section of Scripture. So if you were studying the theme the fear of the Lord, that is going to give you, if you do the search right, that will give you a lot of passages, especially in the Old Testament. That may be too many for your purposes. So limit it. If you're studying a passage in the Psalms, look to see, you know, of the passages that that speak of the fear of the Lord, which ones are in Psalms? I'll look those up. So you don't have to look at every occurrence. You can limit the scope. As you study a theme of Scripture, take notes on anything you find that you think might be beneficial to bring out in the lesson that you will teach. In the handout, I recommend some other resources that are helpful in studying biblical themes. Next, as far as thinking about is there anything in my text that I should study further, think about is there a doctrine that is referred to in some way in my passage that would be beneficial studying? When we're talking about doctrine, we're talking about the major doctrines of Scripture. What the Bible says about the nature of Scripture, that's a doctrine. What the Bible says about the nature of God, that's a doctrine. What the Bible says about the person of Christ, that's a doctrine. What the Bible says about the work of Christ, the person of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, about sin, about salvation, about the church, about last things. These are the doctrines of Scripture. Look at your passage. See, are there any doctrines that are seen in my passage that would be beneficial, studying? And we are given some resources that are really helpful for studying doctrine, and that is books that are called Systematic Theologies. Systematic Theologies. And if we were studying the Ephesians 4 passage, it certainly would be beneficial to study the doctrine of sanctification. Since the passage in Ephesians 4 is about sanctification and how it is to occur in the church. That's a Major Doctrine of Scripture Sanctification, and you will find in any systematic theology, teaching of what the Bible as a whole says about sanctification. Now, in the handout, I have recommended some short systematic theologies. I've recommended some long ones. Depending on how much time you have, uh, select the appropriate length. And read in multiple systematic theologies about the doctrine that, has a significant place in your text. Not every text will have a doctrine to study, but some will. And you will find wonderful things when you study that systematic theology. Because what systematic theology is doing is saying, this is what the Bible as a whole says about this key subject. Number nine, the ninth step in our process is to identify the significance of your passage and some main points of application the significance of your passage and some main points of application seek to understand the significance of this passage for our lives second timothy chapter 3 verse 16 tells us about the nature of scripture all scripture is breathed out by god and is profitable for teaching for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All of Scripture is to impact our lives, is to affect our lives. And so what you need to understand is what is the significance of this passage that I've been studying for our lives. How does it apply to my life and to the lives of others? How How is it to impact our lives? As you do so, consider the following. Consider the passage mainly teaches the truth and or rebukes false doctrine. For example, in Romans, there's teaching on justification by grace through faith. All right. It's teaching us truth. Truth about God's way of salvation. If your passage primarily teaches truth and or rebukes false doctrine, the application has to do with rejecting the false doctrine and growing in our understanding of the truth and in our faith in the truth. Doctrine is to be understood, is to be believed, and it is to be taught to others. But maybe that's not the focus of your passage. Consider, Consider if your passage instead focuses on training believers in godly living and or correcting wrong patterns of behavior. In this case, the application has to do with how to do what Scripture commands and what to avoid as we seek to follow the commands. But maybe that's not the focus of your passage. Maybe your passage primarily tests the state of people's hearts and or brings conviction of sin. In this case, the application has to do with examining one's life in the light of Scripture, and or confessing one's sin and repenting of it. Well, maybe that's not the, the primary focus of your passage. Perhaps the primary focus of your passage is it encourages and or exhorts believers. In this case, the application has to do with receiving the Scripture's encouragement and or heeding, and or heeding the exhortation that's given by God's grace for God's glory. Here, I'm just trying to, to give main areas of application to be mindful of. This is not an exhaustive list uh, of the ways that, that Scripture applies to our lives. But this gets you something to be thinking about and to consider. In the Ephesians 4 passage, the application would include, first of all, considering what should a believer do in order to fully benefit from the equipping ministry of the church's evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Spoken of in verses 11 and 12. If Christ's design for the church is that evangelists, pastors, and teachers would equip all the saints in the church for the work of ministry, then I need to be thinking through, what do I need to do in order to fully benefit from the equipping ministry of my churches, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. or Shepherds is the word in ESV. Secondly, as far as application of this passage, how do we practically go about speaking the truth of God's word in love for the growth of the body? We see this is Christ's design. Every member is to speak the truth of God's word in love for the edification of others in the body. So how Practically, do I go about that? That's application. In what other ways are we to go about building up the body of Christ? Because the passage speaks in general terms about every member building up the body. It gives one specific for that, speaking the truth in love, but that does not exhaust the idea of how we are to build up the body. So for application, in what other ways? the scripture lead us to build up the body of Christ. It's application. Write down your conclusions um, that you make about these things so that you can be mindful of them as you put together uh, the teaching. One last step, that is respond to God's word first in prayer. In Ezra chapter 7 verse 10, we have an example given to us of the scribe Ezra. We read in Ezra 7.10, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. There's a specific order to those three things that Ezra set his heart to do. First of all, to study the law of the Lord. That is to study scripture. Second, to do it to do what the scripture says. And thirdly, to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Before you teach God's word, you first need to apply it to your life. You're not just studying this passage in order to feed others. You're first of all studying this passage to feed your own soul. To nourish your own soul. So be nourished by this passage that you have just studied. The Lord has given you insight as you have sought his help in this process of studying his word. Don't waste that. But go to the Lord in order to respond to what he has said in this passage of scripture. That is the beginning of doing the scriptures, of applying the scriptures to our life, is to go to the Lord. As I go to the Lord, I may praise Him for what He has revealed of Himself in this passage that I have studied. I may thank Him in prayer for any promises in this passage that He has given to the believer. I I may ask Him, Lord, search my life. Show me anything in my life that is not in accordance with the teaching of of this passage. Either beliefs that I have that are wrong, that I need to, to correct. A way that I've been living that is not in accordance with Your Word. Forgive me. Give me your grace to to grow in these areas. And then putting your trust in the Lord. The scriptures are more about God than they are about us. God is central in the scriptures. The narrative of scripture is the story of what God has done. And the promises in scripture are of what God will do. And so having seen what God reveals of himself here in this passage, sometimes the application is to put our trust in him. He has shown us in this passage his goodness, his grace, his faithfulness. And now I go to him in prayer, putting my trust in in Him. There's many different ways that we are to respond to Scripture. I'm just giving you a few. So that's it. your study of Scripture will not be complete until you go to the Lord to apply what you've studied. Well, we do have three minutes for question and answer, and then we will pray. Any questions? yes francis yes. <laughs> yes yes so as as you read different commentaries you will find different views on certain things, different interpretations uh, of a phrase or, or a verse. And so, what do you do when you have these different views? Now, those commentaries will be helpful if those commentators give you reasons for their interpretation. If they just state their imp- their imp- interpretation, this is how I understand the passage, and they don't give you reasons, that's not very helpful to you. It simply tells you, here's one way that people have interpreted it. But if they instead give you more, if they tell you, because of this reason and this reason and this reason, I believe it means this, that's helpful for you. Because you can consider those reasons. And you can compare them with the reasons that another commentator gives for their, their view that's different. So as you're looking for what commentaries to use, you'll find commentaries that give reasons for their interpretations to be more useful. And so we have to be good Bereans. And we take what others teach and we compare it to the scriptures. If I'm not persuaded by the scriptures, then, you know, why am I going to put weight on that? And so a good commentator and a good preacher will persuade you from the scriptures that what they're saying is so. Now, the commentators, a lot of them have studied things that we haven't studied. They'll bring those in in a helpful way. And then you, you can help. Then you can understand why they come to the conclusion they do. Another question? Yes. Yeah. So cross references. So what I had in mind um, for cross references is like those biblical themes. You know, where where you're thinking, okay, are there, is there a biblical theme um, that is reflected in my passage um, that I should study, like the fear of the Lord. Um, Edification, something like that, and then that—that's the point where cross references are really valuable um, to see what other passages say. Cross references are very valuable because scripture interprets scripture, and and so you know scripture is never going to contradict itself. Scripture is is completely consistent with itself. So the cross references are helpful. The commentaries will bring up cross references that are helpful. In um, other parts of your study can bring those up. So, yes, I didn't use the term cross-reference, but cross-references are, are very valuable, and there's multiple ways to, to find those. Yes, Adelaide? Okay, so, like I talked about the, the first step with prayer, all of us have more to learn until we're with the Lord about the, about the Scriptures. And so anytime that we come to the Scriptures, it is to be with, with the humble attitude of, I'm, I'm here to learn from the Scriptures. I'm here to have my, my thoughts, my thinking formed, my beliefs formed by the Scriptures, and my way of life formed by the Scriptures. And, and yes, sometimes we, we bring to the passage some wrong understandings of, of scripture. Sometimes it's because we were taught these things, um, in, in a church that we were at at some point in the, in the past. And so we always have to have that attitude. I, I'm here to learn. And as you read the commentaries, you may read some, 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 some views, some interpretations that are contrary to what you were taught in the past. And so you have to examine the scriptures to see, is this what the scriptures teach? And if in your study, you're convinced by the scriptures themselves that what you were believing is wrong, then you need to, that that passage is rebuking you for that that belief. And you need to, to let go of that belief and then take hold of what the scriptures truly say. And that's a process that the Spirit of God lovingly works in us all throughout the Christian life. It's in His love that He gives us more and more understanding of His Word. And He corrects wrong beliefs that we've held in the the, the past. So be like the Bereans. Test everything with with the Word of God. Whatever the Word of God says, believe. Yes, last question. Yes. 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 Yeah, Yeah, you're talking about studying the meanings of words, okay? Yeah, so the the words, the original words of the Bible, have multiple meanings, just like our English words have multiple meanings. Most English words, if you look them up in an English dictionary, you will find multiple meanings. And sometimes the meanings are very different. And so, you know, context is of great, great importance. As we are talking right now with one another, we are making many interpretations of what is being said. And with with each word, we're interpreting what does that word mean in this context. Because we've been speaking English for a long time, we do it quickly without thinking. Now, it's harder when you study something that's written in a different language that you don't know. So if you do a word study on one of the original words that's found in your passage of Scripture, usually there will be multiple meanings of that word. And so you have to then look at the context where that word occurs to see which of these meanings would the original readers have most naturally understood the word to have at that point? And so we're looking for what, what, what did the human author mean when he wrote this? And what did the original recipients of this portion of scripture, how would have they understood this? And so context is critical in, in that. Yeah. And so word studies can be very abused by taking a meaning And and forcing that meaning on this passage when it's contrary to the context. All right, I'm sure there's many more questions that could be asked, but I do want to leave time for everything else in our schedule today. Uh, So why don't I pray? Oh heavenly Father, this is a big, big subject of how to study Your Holy Word. But I pray if there's anything that I have said that is misleading. Lord, that you would make that clear to everyone who has heard. We pray, Father, for anything that I've said that is truly helpful. We pray, Father, that you would give them your grace to to implement that in their study of the Scriptures. Uh, We pray, Father, that you would grow each of us in being faithful students of your Word, rightly dividing the Word of truth. We cannot interpret the Scriptures or study the Scriptures however we please. But we are to do so in a way that is faithful, a way that recognizes the absolute authority of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture, and that it is Your Word, which is clear, which has been given to us, that we might know You, that we might know Your Son, that we might receive the salvation that You provided in Christ as those redeemed by the blood of Christ, that we might then walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called, a man in a manner that glorifies You. O oh Lord, I pray that You would bring forth much fruit from the instruction that has been given, and to give each of these ladies wisdom um, in how to go about studying Your Word and how to use the resources that are available. Give them discernment, Um, as they pick resources, Lord, that they would truly pick, pick ones that would truly be beneficial and helpful. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.